Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Question Everything listeners. This podcast is recorded during the coronavirus lockdown, so it's recorded remotely. Hope you still enjoy it. Keep listening. And remember, question everything. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste. My producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! Pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... From how much time have you spent in your life looking for the remote control? Uh, I had a real session the other night. Dane, are you a loser of stuff? Yeah, I had because I've basically now got an Amazon Fire Stick, which is a whole new remote control. Tiny, and, tiny, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know that thing can basically slide down your sock; you wouldn't even notice. So that's now been added into the mix. I lost my remote control recently, but I always, I always tell myself that it's uh, nature's way of telling me to get some exercise or something. <laughs> Yes, do like, that's what yeah. it is yeah i'm telling you because you know a real a real somebody i mean i'm just concerned with the fact that tvs don't even have a lot of them you can barely find the manual function like there's one tv it was like a samsung you had to press like three buttons on the back and do a thumbprint just to get the pack the pounds to turn it over manually like i'm not trying to get into the back cave i'm just trying to turn it turn it over to channel four <laughs> well we ask all the questions don't we dane we ask all the questions all the questions and we always welcome uh, questions being asked by our audience so if you had any questions for ourselves and our guests please do get in touch on all of our social networks we are on all the good socials insta twitter and available on facebook as well and if you enjoy the podcast please do leave a review on uh, itunes uh, we're also on spotify and on the largest podcast network in the world Acast. so you can find our podcast on there so now time for me to introduce our most esteemed guest who is a Yorkshire-born comedian, who so is already good with me, Huddersfield Gang, 01484. <laughs> he is a joint English Comedian of the Year winner. He beat the Frog World Series winner and the Hilarity Bites New Act of the Year winner. He's also a writer from Up the Week, and you may have seen him on the BBC iPlayer's Comedian Rap Battles. His stand-up special, Come Up With Your Comedian, is now available on Netstop streaming platform and also available on YouTube as well. It is the tall, pale and handsome, Rob Marholland. How's it going, man? You all right? Thank you I'm for good, that intro. Man. That was sick, man. That was a good intro. Thank you, thank People you. People no, like the talk- intros, didn't they, Dan? I've got better at writing them, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, we, do, we, we like to make it a point of principle that there's no question about the uh, credibility of our guests. So... Yeah, large you up and respect. Yeah, even though there is there is um, some like some of those credits do deserve looking into. Like that that joint winner of English Comedian of the Year. Basically, what happened was the final was cancelled, so I decided I'd won. Yeah, <laughs> so they <laughs> never had a final. I'm a joint winner. Well, yeah, but no one's no one's questioning it or challenging the status, and therefore Mate, you are really a joint didn't. Winner. I spent the whole year at Edinburgh last year going English Comedian of the Year, handing out flyers. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> that that works. That's a brilliant story. I mean, uh, I wonder what... Hey, you have to embellish... On your, on your CV, whether it's comedy or normal work, you have to embellish. You think yeah. I really know how to use Microsoft Access? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do that as a podcast? Dane doing a tutorial for Microsoft Access? I mean... <laughs> Honestly, I am, Dane doesn't I'm, look I'm, impressed I mean, by that. I mean, yeah. I mean you no, know, I, I switched on to Apple, so I think I'd be safe. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. You, what you really think? I got an A for biology, A level. <laughs> You're lying about that. I deserved it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying nowadays, what's the A level going to do for you anyway these days? Yeah, well, it, a lot of, a lot like, of no one gonna, checks. Yeah, a lot of people aren't going to have them this year as well. So. Uh, Exactly. So all of that work was for absolutely nothing. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, in television, uh, when you work in television on the production side of things, uh, you look at people's credits a lot. Uh, and, and, and in development, it's often quite entertaining to look at what people were claiming they've uh, helped create. Uh, and you oh. definitely spot some absolute bollocks that people have said that they've had something to do yeah i was in the room when someone said gogglebox or you know exactly. like, all right howard all right howard <laughs> the original name for eastenders was not baptiste enders okay <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let's move on. <laughs> I'm just trying to that is a show I would fucking watch, though, yeah. man. Like you running the Queen Vic. Yeah. That'd be sick. Oh, get the fuck out of the Queen Vic, yeah. <laughs> you, you get any fucking. You fucking say you make you fucking edge, you mug. How can you do this to me? I'll, I'll do that stuff as well. I'd be like, yeah, uh, big run. Here's a million pounds. Make it count, baby. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, big run. He um, deserves that storyline. How, how, how are things going for you, Rob? Anyway, you well. Yeah, I'm all right, you know, like, I mean, I'm in a good wave. I think I think the way it goes for me is like waves of like, um, I, I have a few days where I'm like, things are good, the future will be bright when we're out of this, you know, it's just time to like, take stock, get shit done, blah, 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 blah. And I get all that positive energy. And then I have about three days where I'm like, like, hello, darkness, my old friend. I just have a few days where I'm just like... This, it's going to go on forever and I miss doing comedy and I miss Mate, seeing I, me fr- I miss touching my face I miss everything <laughs> I, th- I think I'm quite institutionalised yeah yeah, yeah. I, got, I got way too aggressive with my friend over the phone recently and the, <laughs> and the remote controls like phone time in the prison I'm like don't you touch that we f- did you, you get that waiting Netflix for this button? shit haven't you man you've been yeah, waiting like, for this shit I know I kinda, part of me has to be fair the lack of uh, interaction with other comedians I've loved <laughs> the people that I like I'm still very much in contact with mm-hmm, and it's right. actually allowed me to like take some time out and check up on people from different regions but so far as the comedians I deal with in London like all that there's obviously a larger contingent in the south than the north of like comedians like, drama schools yeah cunts and comedians, like, drama <laughs> schools. comedians who are like you know come from showbiz families or their parents push them there's a lot more of that bigger glut of the comedians mm-hmm. that have prospered through nepotism and their parents money and because of lockdown I've not had to see them and Genuinely, man, I don't think I've raised my voice in anger for like two months. <laughs> like, that's how good it's been. Because mm. the thing is, I've done this normal... podcast with you every week, mate. That's definitely not the case. <laughs> From anger, I said, not ranting, but right, as in, right. yeah, okay, <laughs> full on actual anger. Yeah, there's a difference different. between passion and anger, Howard. Right, right. Okay. That being said, until I was around middle class, like drama school people, nobody ever actually called me aggressive. So, <laughs> it's, it's, apparently, if a girl says to me, "I can fuck who I want," and you should still marry me, and I get upset about that, Rob, then something wrong with me. Whereas I feel it's an, I think it's a mean thing to say. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think you're being unne- needlessly aggressive, Dane. I think this is yeah. yeah. Well, at least this is the, well. Then me being um, incarcerated has definitely helped my uh, mental disposition. Uh, I've because I'm not touring, and also I've lost weight because I'm not eating takeaways all the time. Yeah. Mate, oh, I've not gone that way, man. Oh uh, man, it, well, you have to go one of two ways. But for me, it's just like I guess it's the place I want to order from. I can't. Mm. So, you know, normally if I do get a bit, hello, darkness, my old friend, it's like, have me a chicken sandwich, Dean. At least, yeah, the, yeah, sauce yeah. Is, at least the sauce is bright. You'll be happy. So <laughs> I no longer have excitotoxins in the form of trans fats to like self-medicate. So I've just had to learn to like eat fruit and shit. Yeah. That's, it's probably for the probably for the best. <laughs> it is for the best. I mean, but don't worry, Rob. That is balanced by the increase in my tobacco intake. So I'm still cool. Good. There we go. Good. There we How go. How would you may not notice that uh, Rob and I follow the same religion? So we recently celebrated uh, 420. Oh yeah, uh, I know uh, this. I know this. I know this. Because we, we, we had we we had a little pit stop with Rob on our early yeah, yeah, yeah. lockdown podcasts. Uh, we had a good old chat about weed then, didn't we? Uh, we had a yeah. great time. Yeah, I've yeah, actually yeah. got onto. I bought myself a weed vape. This is my latest purchase. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's dead good, right? I much prefer it, Dane. Get on this, man. Like, what I do is I run it through my bong. So I put it in there, <laughs> and it pulls it's, it down. And it means I can do massive vape rips. It's honestly, it's fucking awesome. That's it's the right, future. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rob and I follow the same religion, and we are currently celebrating 3.5 Gramadan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> once that's done, we will begin the holy celebration of Weed al So uh, <laughs> I would like to profusely apologise. black bars. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear I would like to profusely apologise apologise on behalf of the Acast of, network and uh, Dave Baptiste questions my Muslim everything. listeners that are currently celebrating the holy month let's uh, do a couple I, of Jewish ones just to even it out um, <laughs> uh, what's a Yom Kippur one come yeah, on come, come on, on. Oh, <laughs> now what I would say is from my experience of being Bom- a Bom- Bom- Kippur, that will work Bom- there we go. Yeah, that's not Kippur. too bad the no. Muslim community very much in my experience uh, engage in our in our, our hobby yeah. As well, I've certainly yeah. purchased much cannabis off Muslim people. Mm. Like they're, they're, they're definitely involved. They like a smug. The people, you know, yeah. people you like know, smug hash- weed. Hashish is from uh, the region of uh, the same place as the religion, and exactly, uh, yeah. man. 
Mm. So sorry, what, just what to, is, just to interrupt, I just want to say puff puff Passover. Uh, hey, so, uh, there we good. go. Like that's that. the one. Like that. That's nice. Just, that's why you got the Jews around. Oh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Went through the list. Went through the list. <laughs> anyway, it's probably time for a question, Dade, as the show dictates. Absolutely. So, Rob, thanks very much for coming on the show, mm-hmm. and also thank you for a your amazing company on our previous trip to Amsterdam. And yeah, as good. a guest on your amazing uh, 420 uh, show as well, uh, as our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question, which can be any question you'd like or any nature, which we discuss uh, for a few minutes. And then how will ask a question, which we'll do the same with. And then I will do the last uh, leg of the relay. And then we do some blah, blahs for the ha-has. You plug. Everybody go home. We have a nice time. We celebrate uh, 3.5 grammar then. <laughs> nice. So that's the plan. Yeah, sounds good, man. Do you want, do you want my question then? Yeah, yes, let's please. hear it. Let's hear it. Right. So this is a question I've been wrestling with for like the last year. This is quite a big one for me. So this is a life issue, obviously. Then it's a life issue. Yeah, yeah. It's fully like this. This question has like changed my life genuinely. Um, it's is eating meat immoral? Oh, now this is interesting because we've definitely had some vegetarians on before, Dane. But the, mm-hmm. this has actually never happened. As a question, I don't think. I think I've brought up the Beyond Burger a couple of times. Do you remember me saying that that is so. a, a hell of a meat-free burger? Um, it's sick, yeah. But the, the, I mean, how are you? Just to throw it back to you, Rob, mm-hmm. how, how is that work in your in your psyche? Is it kind of emotional or physical, like in terms of your your feelings towards meat? Because I think that's a big part of it, right? Yeah, like basically, it's um, it was not anything I ever thought about for ages because I really love meat. Like meat is like all of my favourite foods are meats. Like I just I such love as for you. such as oh mate. Like I'm, I tell you what, I'm really craving the things that I've really missed since I've gone veggie are uh, chicken shawarma, uh, lamb kebabs, uh, like lamb curries is a big one. Yeah. Mate, curries are not as good at all if you're vegetarian. Like I know that they've got loads of like fancy lentils and shit. That's not the same as a good bit of lamb. You know why that is? Because you know what Indian people do with vegetables and things that aren't meat? They make dals, Rob. Mm. And sagaloo. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've been having I don't a want a sagaloo curry, vegetarians. <laughs> it's not it's not as good as a lamb madras. It's just fucking not. It's, just not it's, in the same league. it's literally dull by name, dull by nature. <laughs> 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 this is it. Like that that's been a big part of like vegetarianism for me. You just have to accept that most of your meals are going to be a bit worse. Like, you yeah. know, most of the time it's pretty imperceptible. And like well, basically I, I came to the decision I've been vegetarian since January. And like last year during an acid trip I started thinking about eating meat because I'd been to the Sea Life Center with my friend, right? We Take a lot of acid, went to the Sea Life Center, then went and sat on Brighton Beach. I mean, imagery, oct- beautiful imagery. <laughs> it was a fucking brilliant day. Like, um, But there's an octopus in Brighton Sea Life Center that bums me out because I, I had stopped eating octopus anyway because they're like crazy intelligent. Like, I don't think we have any idea how intelligent octopuses are. They can change color and they can break, collapse their own sc- endosc- endoskeletons. Wow. Yeah, they can do loads of crazy they're shit. They're amazing. Yeah, they amazing. I, I watched a video the other day of an octopus being set free and like it went into the water, it looked around for a bit, then it swam over to the guy who like walked away it swam over to the guy who'd released it, hugged his leg, and then left. You're <gasps> kidding me. I, yeah. I saw octopus was swimming, and I had no idea, and then it transformed into a rock. Yeah. yeah they're, they're crazy, man. They can yeah. get out of tanks. They can walk across the yeah. water like sometimes. Holes, like holes this size. They can collect oh, smaller than that, man. If there's a tiny yeah. hole they can get through. Yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. So I stopped eating them. Mm. So I'd seen this octopus that, mate, the octopus in Brighton Sea Life Centre is fully like a prisoner. It's just sad. It's just depressed. Right. So right. I'd seen this, and that started that thought off. So I sat on the beach and then my brain's like, well, if you're doing that one, why not pigs? And I was like, don't think about this. Don't think about this. <laughs> but it just sort of like, it sort of yeah. left that plant. Like when you're, when you're like, like tripping, that. like, you know, like big thoughts and big decisions yeah, happen yeah. in those moments, big epiphanies. So I was like, don't think about that. But then a bit of the back of my brain went, you don't need to, you know, the answer. And then I started thinking about it more. And like, eventually, like, I just got to a point where I just couldn't justify it. I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to justify eating meat. Which is, and, which like, is so an emotional thing. It's an emotional yeah, thing. Yeah, it obviously. is essentially. It's, it's, it's a moral it's, thing more than anything, mo- I think. Yeah, I think, I think there's, a, there's a more definite, I think the biggest argument in terms of vegetarianism, contemporary discussion is mainly morality. And, and that's based on the fact that, but I feel like that's based on the fact that for a lot of us, there is a lot of uh, industrial and nutritional privilege where we are able to provide ourselves with things that can supplement our meat intake. Um, <clears throat> I feel like there's in certain parts of the world, there's also there's a, 
spiritual uh, implication to eating meat as well. Because mm. uh, the whole process of like sacrifice and even when, you know, blessing meat and making it halal in, you know, the Muslim faith, there is, there is a spirituality to it as well. Um, so I think a lot of the time, nutrition of any kind, like morality, is a commodity that is based on where you are and your environment, how much right. of it you can afford. There's an exchange of that. So, yeah, I think I, I definitely understand why you kind of feel that way. Because like I said, it's, it's morally and logically, it's like logically I can provide myself with things to supplement my intake of meat. And morally, because I can do that, me eating it is only from I'm only doing it recreationally. Yeah, exactly. It's it's basically that. Yeah, it's like the only real reason to eat meat. And I'm purely talking in like um, Western culture now. I can only talk in my context. And to be honest with you, this is only a question I even started thinking about when my material life became more middle class. Like I live a much more comfortable life than I used to. But let's not say about morality is that it's a commodity. So it's like when you're, you can talk about like, for example, we can talk about the deplorable treatment of animals and stuff, which is absolutely valid. But it's like, like oh, people eat bush meat, but it's like if you're a poacher in like a sub-Saharan African country, I'm not killing gorillas because I like killing gorillas. It's that if I don't do this, yeah, this in this enormous interest in you know the exotic animal trade, then my family's starving. It. Mm. Yeah, and like, I've I've got no I've got no interest in judging anyone for any of that shit. No, and no. like you know anyone in different completely different material circumstances. Like I'm purely talking at like a theoretical level. Once you get to the point where you can choose and you have the resources to be able to choose, mm. I think at that point, because yeah, when I was bro- dead broke, when I was absolutely flat broke and struggling to eat, didn't give a shit what I was eating, and mm. like rightly so, you know, it was just yeah. surviving. But now I feel like I can make that choice, so I felt sort of compelled to well yeah. it's a kind of almost in, in, in one essence kind of thought leadership in some ways uh as in you know do you want to represent uh what you would envisage is a, is a is a good future for mankind right that's the kind of basis and i, I think there's three levels to it because I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time <laughs> debating this in my head but the first mm. level is definitely the environment which is it is clear that if we mm. want the planet to survive we should all eat less meat like that. It's a huge impact. That one yeah. sentence is just the simplest bit for everyone to get their heads around. So if you're, that's the, big, that's the biggest one for me as well. Me for me, too. To, yeah, consider getting off, getting going completely veggie. It's it's the uh, the, it, the intensive agriculture is the the uh, effect it has. Well, and I travel bit... so much for work that I feel like I'm already taking my quota. You know, what I mean, yeah. like mm-hmm. I drive so much for my job that I feel like it would just it felt when I really examined it, I just felt a bit gaudy and like western and flashy in the fact that i was just chucking around like carbon like i didn't give a <laughs> fuck you know like whereas it's not me who has to deal with the consequences no and yeah, I, I, I think that element of of, of the of, of environmental responsibility means that if you were saying you know let's say that you've got 14 meals a week right forget breakfast because it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to involve meat I would argue. No meal has to involve beat, Howard. Well, That's well, what I'm saying. Well, I, think, I think some people generally... What about Christmas? <laughs> but I think generally people could view their lunch and dinner as having some kind of meat content and, and it wouldn't sure, be yeah, a yeah. surprise for most people. So it's 14 meals a week. If you could knock that down to somewhere between kind of five to seven, uh, it would make a massive difference to the world. But then there is a flip side to that, which is that obviously we should just not be killing animals for for, for food yeah. at times. I mean, you say that, but I think the issue is always going to be when you're trying to juxtapose uh, some morality in terms of spending alongside capitalism. Because when we were, like, I know, my parents grew up working class, and when I suppose my family, in, I got a family in Yorkshire in Huddersfield. So in chip shops, for people, fish is probably one of the most, you know, expensive types of meat to buy, right? Mm-hmm. So... Not everyone, it's a commodity that everyone can afford. So what used to be supplemented is that they'd sell scraps in chip shops, so they'd be like almost like drippings from like when you're battering fish. Then when we started introducing the process of farming seafood, it means it's a lot more available and it's become a lot more cost-effective to provide people with fish. Now, for people that have been poor their whole lives and fish has been like a rarity to them or, you know, to the point of like being a treat, now having them go back and saying it's bad for them is very hard to get around in the same way that it's like they've always, we've like Christmas dinner, the turkey is the, the main piece. So you're almost, so removing that from people means this, the impact is not just on their gut, but it's also their culture. Mm. So for me, it's like how that can occur to wean people off of meat. It's not just the uh, process of them not eating meat anymore. There's an entire culture of ways where we flippantly use meat or the cow. cow and I think about that because it's like, yeah, people stop eating meat, but then it's like, how many people are going to stop wearing leather? 
Mm. Yeah. So the, the veg, because vegetarian is veg. My whole thing is that vegetarianism, which I, I think there's a lot of good applications for it. Lots makes lots of sense, and you know, it's not a, an idea that I'm adverse to in certain situations, especially to the point where maybe even maybe having meat maybe once a week and stuff like that. But for me, it's how far you take it because if if it is about being conscientious about other beings, then we have to start saying to ourselves, yeah, are you what kind of um, kind of clothes are you wearing? And mm. also, um, what's it? Uh, also, sharing habitats. A lot of the time mm. when we see animals and they're becoming endangered, it's not just from intensive farming or how they're being mistreated. It's because as human beings continue to grow and our demand for resources increases, then we start having to compete with animals for space. And you can, again, looking back at like the sea and how we, you know, fish, fish in as well, but like how reefs and stuff are destroyed anyway. So it's just, yeah, it's a weird one in human existence to continue to be eating meat and then also... But at the same time, you want to care about the rest of the world. It's a real yeah. tough one. I think it, I think it's fine to make steps in the right direction, though. I think it's fine not to be totally pure. Mm. I think it's you know because I ultimately by following my logic, I should be vegan because mm-hmm. like a, a big part of it for me, like I, actually for me, I think environmental is probably second. It was emotion first of like I, I love animals and like you know me and my girlfriend will spend weekends going to farms to like hang out with pigs and it's great. And then I on the way home I have a bacon butty, hmm. you know, and that that feels fucked with that. But, it's, almost as, it's almost as if you've gone to like let them know when are you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, like <laughs> I'm picking like, like, my lobster like, in the restaurant. It's, yeah, it's like oh, it's the opposite of going to like a rescue home for a dog. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna take like, that one. <laughs> yeah, so like that just felt like weird. It's more like because I, I honestly, when it comes to like modern morality, I think like none of us can live a morally pure life in no. the modern world. You can't. You just nope. can't. The, the, the structure that is around you, you can't. So I think it's up to you to make your own choices. And also, yeah. our impact is pretty negligible. So I don't think personally you need to. It needs to weigh too heavily on anyone. Yeah. But I think you should make your own choices for what makes you happy. Basically, meat stopped making me happy. I started yeah. feeling sad when I ate it. And yeah. at that point, th- then there's no justification because I'm, I'm not even getting the pleasure. But yeah, I, exactly. I really like, I really just made that decision of like, and look, I'm really struggling with it at the moment. The reason I wanted to talk to you is because I'm fucking missing meat. Yeah. And like, especially at the moment, because I'm bored and like, yeah. it's, it's more difficult to just grab, um, like normally it's really easy being vegetarian. I run into KFC, grab a burger, I run in Burger King, I can get a ve- veggie burger, I run mm. in Subway, I can get a fucking thing. Now I've got to cook all my meals, it's harder. Yeah, yeah. But see, well, that's my thing as well, man. I feel like a lot of people that, especially in London, like a lot of vegetarians or, or like people that emphasize vegan diets, they're people that start aren't able to cook very well because it's very hard for you to burn vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's vegetables, vegetables aren't like... Listen, like, Dave, you, you, eat, you should speak to my mother-in-law, mate, honestly. If you, exactly. <laughs> if, you eat, if you eat an asparagus raw, like, the worst thing that's going to happen is that your pee mate tastes a bit different. Yeah. If you eat a raw sausage, you'll be very sick. So yeah. I think a lot of people are like, I'm a vegetarian now. It's like, no, you're a bad cook. There's a... <laughs> but the, the, I, I, also, I also think, especially, like I said, because there's a real cosmopolitan aspect to diet in London, like a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I can't hurt people. But I'm like, yeah, but like at the same time, when you are develop, every time you develop a taste for a new delicacy, whether it's like uh, polenta or avocados or quinoa, like because of your mass hysteria around it, like quinoa, for example, it means the price is driven up exponentially. So then Peruvian farmers, for them to buy more seeds to plant quinoa, they can't necessarily afford it. Mm. And it's always ironic that I find people that, you know, have emphasized a vegetarian or vegan diet are very outspoken about things like fair trade. But I always hasten to remind them, it can't be fair trade if there are no people from the Ivory Coast on the board of directors for Starbucks. Because mm-hmm. with illegal drugs, the people that are from countries like Peru or Colombia, they make the most money from cocaine. If you see yeah, They the are the board level. Region. Yeah, they're board level. Whereas the street dealer at the end of the distribution chain makes the least money. Mm. Whereas with legal products, it's very strange whereby the Ivory Coast is like, has the largest cocoa reserves, but then they don't make all the money Cadbury's does. Or mm. like they have all the coffee in the Ghana, mm. but there are no Ghanaians on the, Star- like on the Starbucks board directors or Costa or Cafe Nero. So yeah, the, 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 the morality one is always a weird one because I also find the issue of morality and meat eating is a lot of people tend to project this... Uh, their morality onto animals and mm. like a lot of time other animals they have a food chain human beings again through our privilege and through our wealth and our technology we can transcend the food chain so we can go from being apex predators to basically being custodial towards other animals and eating other things and because we're omnivores so our mm. you know we, we're it's a lot broader with ourselves but then it's when it's like people are like well i don't eat meat and neither does my cat just because you don't eat meat like your cat has not evolved to the point 
where it doesn't want to do that. Like, there's a reason yeah, yeah, why your cat cool. still has mandible pressure and is able to crush mm-hmm. bone, and their mm-hmm. stomach is more acidic than ours, so they can dis- dissolve meat and bone because they're still naturally <coughs> adapted. Whereas human beings, you know, arguably, we're not necessarily adapted to, to just have meat. We have a choice. We, we have, have a choice. choice. Cats oh, don't. The idea, yeah. Is, yeah, well, the idea is that we're supposed to be broad. So that's why, human <coughs> beings, on the one hand, we can dissolve meat after a certain amount of time, but we also don't have an appendix, uh, which means that we can't digest grass like cows, and that's why they mm-hmm. have stomachs. So part of our evolution is that we can be omnivores and we can, uh, let's change in between diets. Well, so that's you can the go point, from, isn't it? That's the point. Yeah, so I think, I think that's the point. So it's, it's like, I don't think meat is necessarily moral, but I think meat is part of a large conversation of all of our uh, indulgences in the modern world, where it's like everything's fine in moderation. Like, I feel like historically, if you were to take time, I think, you know, it is Rob, I think maybe if people want to eat meat badly, you know, like you have allotments if you want to have a garden, Mm. But you don't, you don't have a garden, but you get an allotment. I think if you really don't want to eat meat, then you should be able to register and rear your own meat and then maybe slaughter it when it's ready. And mm. I, I'll be involved in the process because then you'd be like, you really want it. Because like, I, I don't mind people that eat meat and I don't judge anybody, but people that waste food are fucking scum. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree with you, man. <laughs> like, especially yeah. like meat that somebody's fucking died for. Like, I do, yeah, I do yeah. agree with like engaging with the process more would really help this. Because like, honestly, like, I, I, I very much had my head in the sand for a long time. I was very much, I like me, I can't look into that too much. It might make me sad, it might make me stop. So I was like, la, 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 la. And like, honestly, like uh, a big thing, it, like, there was a few, you know, a few little things that sort of led to the final decision. But a big part of it was watching a documentary where I saw a humane farm where they look after animals well. Like the sort of like, you know, the, the idea that you imagine that you go to your local <laughs> butchers and you buy the meat from there. Yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. their slaughterhouse and it horrified me. Oh God. Horrified uh, me. Hey, there's never going to be like an avatar. You go, ah, I see my right. Exactly. <laughs> but like, it's like it's, a spa. It's, like a spa yeah, yeah, yeah. for pigs <laughs> to die. I, I didn't expect them to be getting Manny Peddies in there. But like, <laughs> but it, was, it was the way they were treated on the way that was horrifying and like yeah, the explanations yeah. for why. Like there was, there was there's a no way pig. of dressing it up. There's no way of dressing it up in a million no, no. years, is there? Really? There's, there's not. Like they, they put a, like a mother pig in a cage where it can't turn around. It just has to stand still. And like whilst it's like children are separated from it, and pigs feel empathy. Like this was yeah. another part of it. They feel empathy. They know what's happening. They yeah. are intelligent creatures. They mm. are like uh, by I'd like tests smarter than dogs that we yeah, saw yeah. and look. Yeah, yeah. But because pigs are tasty, we're like fuck them. Yeah. And like I was for ages. Pigs are the like bacon is amazing. Sausages are incredible. Mm. But it just got to a point where like I just I'll have a Linda McCartney, you know. Yeah. Like it just it, it bummed me out too much. I just didn't feel like I. Well, I think sausages be- and uh, and burgers are definitely definitely replaceable with vegetarian options. I they do, are. There's I some do really think, good ones. I do think some, some really good bacon options. Bacon isn't quite there yet. And I, I think chicken is the other one. I'll, I'll go for corn, but I'm not sure how I feel about a veggie burger because I feel like... Oh, Dane, I'll send you some. I've got some... Honestly, some of them are sick. Now, like some properly, of them are really good. Properly okay. convincing. I'm just saying, what I'm not going to do though, and again, this is more principle than anything else, where you get like a veggie burger and the burger's made of like, you know, peas and different things. <sighs> then it's like on a bed off. of like lettuce and stuff. And I'm like, well, this is just some vegetables that are crushed into a patty mm-hmm. under other vegetables it's mm. bullshit, man. That's why McDonald's can get fucked, man. I don't like McDonald's anymore because their veggie options are just that. They're deep-fried veggies. That's the and problem like, I'm concerned with as well, yeah. Until Subway had the meatballs that they do now. They do a meatless meatball. It's great. Oh, sick. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really good. They've got a vegan meatball now and it's fucking really nice. But before that, the only like veggie option was the like uh, vegetarian veggie. deluxe, which is yeah. just like either a patty of vegetables or there was another one, which yeah, was when... just you skipped the meat bit and you just yeah, got all yeah. the salad. Cheese and toast. You can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally that. Yeah, it's just an empty. They, they mm. cut a bit of bread open yeah. and then go right. Pass it to the next dude. That's it. <laughs> oh man, Hi, it's terrible. That's. I would say again, veganism is something I've definitely considered for the health implications and yeah, the moral ones. Like and moral, not just because of just empathy and treatment of animals, which obviously is part of it, but also the fact that like it's the morality of knowing you're contributing to you know uh, ecological devastation. Yeah, that's it, man. Oh, yeah. That's a big part of it. And to be honest with you, man, like the bit I would really recommend about it, like especially for me, telling people you're vegetarian is fucking great, man. <laughs> it's so enjoyable, honestly, especially for me because it's it shocks people. They yeah. don't expect like because I'm not like a cultured guy or anything like that. Like I'm, you know, oh, I'm more than I'm working sure class scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, but it, genuinely, and people like go, oh, right, and like I really enjoy that. So there, there's yeah. there's the pleasure from it. 
Is well, that, I, mean, of, I mean, a lot of cool people have been, been vegetarians. I'm just concerned with when I hear the term plant-based. That does concern me. <laughs> but that's, that's almost, But at the same time, that's the same way that sausages have always concerned me. And yeah. as does ham. Because... Pig-based. I think, yeah, I think most people feel like ham is all made by the same pig. Mm. And it really isn't, guys. I think ham is actually short for how many motherfucking pigs? <laughs> <laughs> well, I really like that question, though, because we, it's a big question. And I think mm. we would happily listen to the thoughts of our followers on social media about this because we all are wrestling with it. I don't think we should be judging each other as well, right? No, that's, that's it. The like, other there's thing. no judgment from yeah. me. No yeah. judgment. Like, because I like it would be pretty fucking hypocritical the amount of meat that I ate for those 30 years that I was eating. <laughs> like, I, mate, I was chowing down. I was eating four double. Cheeseburgers in a go. Wow. But as long as you finish them. Oh, mate, I finished every fucking bite. Don't you worry, man. My one oh, last tip to uh, to veggie people out there would be Linda McCartney's uh, vegetarian beef roast is pretty spot Oh, I haven't on. had that one yet, man. It, I'm working my way through the yeah. Linda McCartney range, get man. It in the, get it in the freezer, Rob. Get it in the yeah, freezer. Yeah, I'm, man, I'm, 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 I've seen it. I haven't I'm picked it up yet. I'll get on that. I'm so happy to hear this because I feel like one of the biggest things as well, like the cultural impacts of vegetarianism was the fact that like, I know for a lot of English people, meat has always been the centerpiece of the plate. So if 100%. you're an English person and people are like, I'm going veggie and you remove the, if you remove the meat from a roast and the gravy, it's fucked, yeah, man. It's and I'm, I'm a Yorkshire boy. Like the the yeah. Sunday roast is like, the, that's my culture. Yeah, that's it. Works. That's, that's my culture. Yeah. food. This works so, well, Rob. You'll so like it. Really, the way you put this question back around is that maybe a lot of people need to thank Muslims for bringing some alternative foods to supplement your vegetarian diet. <laughs> I always thank, uh, thank immigrants for that. Like, I don't want to go back yeah. to 50s British food. Thank you, immigrants, <laughs> for bringing me spices and flavour. And since, yeah, it makes vegetarianism a much easier transition. Yeah, so. 100%, man. Well, yeah, it's, a, it's a great it's a great question and one that I imagine this generation will keep wrestling with mm. um, but my question for today's episode is, a, is, is, is on a different subject Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Kind of directed to, to to comedians that are just, uh, here today, but then it's also the performance um, industry generally, which is you know in this current climate going to be facing some big, unprecedented times. Going to be facing some big <laughs> questions. Going to be facing some big fucking questions. That's for sure. And my question is, how important are audiences to live performance? Because we've obviously witnessed a lot of people adapting. Uh, mm. in this current climate. Obviously, it's going to change, but it is going to have a knock-on effect. Audiences are going to be slightly, you know, hesitant to get back into a crowd of people. So to ask you guys no, what not... you think what you think of that. I think that they're everything to live performance. Like, mm. you, you cannot have it without an audience. Like, especially, like, I can only speak for my art form. I can only speak for stand-up. I don't do other things. Mm. But for stand-up, it, it doesn't function without an audience because stand-up isn't... I think people think what stand-up is, is you telling a story or a joke to an audience. And I think that's when you don't do it, you sort of think that's what it is. But after a few years of doing it, you eventually sort of, like for me anyway, I had this like epiphany that that's not what I'm doing at all. What I'm doing is conducting the energy of an audience, right? Like that, it's not about me saying stuff to them. It's about me managing these waves of laughter. 
Hmm. And like um, Brian Regan says that we're the conductor and they're the orchestra. And I totally believe hmm. that. Like, it's, you well cannot put. do it That's without so them. You can say funny things and you can have a format where you say funny things, but you can't do live stand-up. But the audience are everything. It's a, co- it's a conversation with them. Have you tried, Even if they're not talking. Have you guys Absolutely. been trying the whole kind of online gigging thing? How have you found it? I think, I mean, the gigging thing is okay, but I guess I don't really look at it as, 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 as something that's replacing performing live stand-up comedy. It's just like, it's in the same way that you have to learn a new discipline, like when you change your timing and approach to jokes when you perform on a panel show. So mm-hmm. for me, do, doing online, I've done a few like spots here and there, but it's just been me more being comfortable with the process of performing line straight down to lens rather than that trying to rep- replace live performance. Because mm-hmm. like Rob said, there's just no substitute Um for all of those reasons, just for the dramatic performance of it, which is a very unique uh, art form, which is very reciprocal. Like, it's not necessarily like, you know, requires the whole vaudeville and pantomime people always chiming in, but at the same time, you your energy is going to be based because I guess we're trying to create a state of quasi-conversation. Our energy is going to reflect the one that we're being given. So if you're not getting a lot of energy, it's very hard for you to kind of like deliver a joke with the yeah. same level of... Uh, that's what timing is, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's what timing's feeling the audience. It's not It's not the same time every time. It's, exactly, it's the yeah. feeling of where the joke, where the laugh has crested. Yeah. And as soon as it starts to get over the hill, that's when you say another one to boost it up and you get this sort of like building. Exactly, yeah. And, yeah, and then it becomes, like I said, it becomes orchestral. And it's, and also, and it's because like, uh, because I guess unlike other art forms, our validation in terms of for every instance we perform is is laughter. It doesn't really work like music where you can be validated by performing music because people just listen to it and they're, they're, they're a vocal response isn't required so they can just clap at the end of a song. Whereas comedy, there's always like this, we're always rechecking for, like you said, for confirmation because we're always making statements mm. and laughter being is universal and in many ways it is a response that we is involuntary on the behalf of the audience because they, they can't make control of how they're laughing and it's also like... You know, it's universal, so it's just you. You kind of, yeah, because because comedy is something where you're not necessarily communicating. You're relying more on like you know human language, body language, hmm. and laughter is a part of that body language where you know hmm. people's response will drive your energy as well. And we're a social species. It's just any kind of live performance is going to be difficult when you're not actually performing well, I live. Mean, the, the other areas, obviously, like it's been interesting watching live music kind of translate on Instagram or, mm. or, or on, you know, Facebook or, you know, I, I do think music in, in some ways has it easier, but then obviously financially, uh, it's not, <laughs> it's not offering anything. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. if you're Gary Barlow and you can sit there and just, Put a few things not on Facebook. Pay your tax. <laughs> not pay your tax. <laughs> but you know, it, 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 he's not he's not sitting around trying to make you know X amount to cover his you know living expenses every year, right? Mm-hmm. So so he's not it, it, him and Chris Martin. These people don't count. But but how they don't count as musicians. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you, you, they can't. That, you know, music, musicians can exist in this era because you, you do feel... But then that, that feeling when an audience is kind of getting involved in their track must be, you know, massively That's missed. what live music is, though. That's what live music is. And that's what, like, a, a rave is. And, you know, I've seen DJs putting out sets, and that's great. I bop around my kitchen to it, but that's radio. That's mm. not a rave. We're not yeah. having a rave. A rave is me off my face hugging strangers, you know, and that's what we're missing. Like, I have I have actually done some online gigs that I've enjoyed, you know. Right. Like, the ones that work are ones done via Zoom. So you see the audience and you can hear them. Right. Those are the ones that work. I did one which was on Facebook Live where I just had to do it down the camera with no response and it made me feel really hollow. I hated it. That sounds very difficult. Yeah. I don't know how it was that awful. works. Yeah, you're staring into the abyss, like I said, and you're just not getting any feedback left. It's like being I'm in solitary. looking into a black hole in yeah. the lens of my camera. You can, you can make jokes. That's like, that's like making jokes in solitary confinement. Like You can hear everybody else out in the prison, but no one's really responding. You're still going to go fucking crazy. Like Imagine yeah. a crowd. If you're in a crowded prison, but you're the one in solitary... You don't get to interact with people in general pop. You're still going to be very uh, detached. And, you know, being a comedian already requires a certain level of detachment for you to be making uh, observations. Yeah. Uh, mm. Extra extra socially. So we're trying to talk about everything from the outside rather than, you know, speaking like another one of... Like, instead of speaking about a phenomenon we're conforming to, we're kind of talking about it from the outside, you know, mm. in a kind of ju- a journalistic way. So in the same way, it's like, there's no news. You can't really be a very good journalist. It is difficult, man. There's no yeah. fuel going in at the moment. And like, no, I, start, 
I started doing that. I was like, oh, I've got a bit of an angle on like shopping in Tesco under coronavirus rules. But then I realized literally every comedian in the world is going to be fishing in that pond, right? Like yeah. we've, we're all only doing one thing a week and it's going to Tesco and it's weird there. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I, I'm sure I had original angles, but I'm sure other comedians will get to those angles. You know what I mean? time, and they've got nothing but time to get there too. <laughs> so so like, I'm, I'm just leaving it the fuck alone on that front. Like. Yeah, I think I think it's one's best forgotten, and, and that's the thing as well with comedy is that it's uh, the merit of either having shared experiences with your audience or mutual experiences, or introducing them to a one they've never had before. And you know, hmm. for the foreseeable future, it's going to be very hard for us to distinguish ourselves based on us all having a shared experience at a minute. Do you think that? comedians are going to appreciate audiences in a new way in when we get back to some kind of normality. I, I think it'll so. be both. Yeah, I think I hope so. But actually, no, I do hope so because we, I think we were getting to a point, I think, before the lockdown where I'd seen a real rise in kind of right-wing rhetoric and, just in, and also a rise in just interjecting liberals too. Mm. And I feel like there was, we were getting to a point in comedy whereby people, I'd seen frequent instances of people telling me about hecklers who were um, speaking from this point of offence and, yeah, this attempt at changing the power dynamic at gigs. And there yeah. were a lot of comedians that were allowing that and enabling that and a lot of comedians who were like, well, I just, I feel sad. And, yeah, we've, up until this point, comedy was definitely suffering. And number one from, you know, a lot of just little whiners basically who had annexed the, um, the art form and it's always I guess an endeavor of the middle class to bring it down to their own level where I guess people couldn't find stuff that was funny and relatable so instead of opting for comedy we're going for tragedy um, and yeah for a long time kind of brought the tone down and yeah. then Dave Chappelle was able to get rid of that crap and then um, yeah a, a lot of people were becoming yeah there was a real I see that real upswing of people that were very openly not respecting the art form. Yeah, I'd like to see more respect from a lot of comics. I think there'll be, the I think there'll be massively more. I, I think people will not take for granted a the just the whole paradigm of being able to sit and enjoy art live. I think people mm. will definitely expect that so much more. Um, but also, I think given the nature of what we do as comedians and the fact that we are supposed to provide us, we're trying to provide escapism and attachment and surrealism in very difficult areas, or even providing the timing to the tragedy to make things a lot more bearable. Yeah. I think a lot of people will respect that. And I think anyone who doesn't, then, well, you're the fucking problem. And lockdown or otherwise, if you can't come and take a joke, then stay the fuck home in it. <laughs> yeah, it's t- that's, totally, that's, that's totally a feature. And I think that will be a thing. But I also think like there's a lot of comedians who need to respect the audience more and respect the fact Absolutely. that... People have worked all fucking week in a shit job and they've come out on a Friday night and they've got babysitters. They've already spent 80 quid by the time they've got out the fucking door. Like, Just go you know. work for your rich dad. Just say it, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go work for it. your rich dad. <laughs> no, but, but they, they they're a lot of right? And like, we, they want some relief. They don't want to hear yeah. about your fucking anxiety, right? Make them yeah. laugh. Like, Especially when it's like, they all, myself, as a member of an audience, if someone comes on stage, at 10 o'clock at night and says they have anxiety, I'd be like, you probably could go to a therapist, didn't it? Because a therapist is going to be probably as expensive, if not less expensive, than spending 10 grand going to Edinburgh. So like, if you're getting up to do this every day, you probably aren't as sick as you make out because normally when people are depressed, they don't want to leave bed. So you probably could go to a... Uh, but I, I definitely think that this, this situation, however tragic, may separate the wheat from the chaff in some ways because those who fail to, like, you know, mm. appreciate audiences and appreciate the phenomenon of stand-up comedy and, and do, like Rob said, very frequently make comedy about being very self-referential and uh, talking about very clandestine and very inside private jokes... I don't think that's going to wash in the new uh, guys in which comedy exists. Well, there was a clear saturation, right, guys? Like, the, you know, to, to suggest there were too many comedians might be a bit harsh on some, but there were, I mean... No, it's always... No, it, but comedy's always been saturated. And that's, and that's another thing that this uh, shown because comedy, while if you can prosper and thrive in it, then you can be one of the more respected performing artists, live harmonized. Like, when you start off, like, you might be a few levels above, like, you know, a children's party magician. And uh, you know, balloon animal assistant. But then, when you get to the real top, you, you can get to the top of you know the comedy to- or, or just the performing arts totem. And I think, but there are a lot of people. But 
there's very low barriers to entry in comedy, especially the UK. You consider comedies like takes place in loads of pubs and, you know, you don't have to be able to sing melodically or be able to dance, just talk mm. and say things for people to laugh. So you, that taking place in pubs, you can imagine just a slew of high function and very low function alcoholics. I think they can do the same thing. I've seen so many comedians like, well, yeah, I mean, high functioning, <laughs> high functioning, but I've seen so many comedians like who were like, so many middle-class comedians who are like autistic and complicated and complex and they have a girlfriend. And I'm like, well, that even works better than Ritalin. Uh, <laughs> it's like, this guy's like, oh, my complex is in this. And it's like, oh, so you didn't need Adderall. What you needed is some boobs in your face. And that's yeah. all it took for them to create to end. And I just think... That lot- one fucks me off, man. Oh, I'm so bad with women. Oh, no, I'm just so... I can't talk to women. And after the show, they're fucking four yeah. of them queuing up on rails. You know I'm saying? Well, you seem to be very good at sending dick pics to them, so that's fine. <laughs> but, um, How much are you yeah, missing I- it, no, Rob, at the moment? How much hugely, are you missing man. it? Yeah, Hugely. It's, it's, and it, it really, like, levels me out in a really good way. I have, like, such an excess of, like, mad energy all the time that like it really keeps me level i need because like I, th- I think it's an adhd thing because i'm so like i've always been like craving stimulus basically so i've always like you know i drank too much done loads of drugs and all that because i'm just craving that like high so then like stand-up gives me that in a really safe controlled way where it's the best buzz i've ever fucking had it's something that i'm really good at that focuses all my energy into it and it just gives me these regular bursts and releases of like endorphins and adrenaline that mean i don't go chasing it in other ways and like already like honestly if you if, if there was like if there was cocaine in this house i would have done it all like you know like i'm, I'm at that point i just want to like do something like um so yeah i'm missing it hugely I, I love it and i will never take a break like this ever again from stand-up for the rest of my life yeah, yeah. Like, i was never planning on going more than a few days without doing stand-up ever i was like oh this sorts me out yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's definitely good for the the dopamine and serotonin where you don't have to take anything for it, and uh, you know, and in the process of taking an idea and uh, making it something tangible, that mm. part I definitely miss the, the mm. politics, the politics and the scene. I don't miss the stage itself and writing and ideas and the whole positive of having people sharing your creativity. I do. I just but, miss crowd work the most, man. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the feeling that I really love the most in stand-up that I miss the most and that is irreplaceable elsewhere is when I'm like comparing or doing a lot of crowd work and I'm just in the bubble. Like I just get into a zone where I don't even think anymore. It just it, It's flow state completely. Yeah. And people are saying things and then my brain just without me even thinking connects it to the things we said earlier and it becomes yeah. this puzzle. But and, it, but you're like, that state of conversation where it's like mm. it's bouncing and see and, and that's what I was like, this is what we're saying, Howard. You can't replicate that with a digital audience. You just can't. Yeah, it's not, never going to be the same It's thing. the one-off yeah. feeling, isn't it? The one-off yeah. feeling of being in a room and that only ever happens exactly. in that way one exactly. time. Exactly. exactly. You can't necessarily replicate that. And yeah, I, I definitely miss that. Mm. I, miss, I, miss, I miss the democracy of the, of, of the comedy club as well. Mm-hmm. I, miss, I miss all of the critique and all the politics and all of the, all the judgments is being on a stage and being like, yeah, well... They're laughing. So what the fuck do you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like. I miss that as well. No, yeah. but see, live performance. I I think in a world of like social media, we definitely underestimate how much we value interaction with as people. Yeah, and I really feel like there's a lot of comedians who. What's actually strange is that a lot of comedians who used to claim having mental health issues seem to be doing just fine to me. <laughs> hmm. yeah. back, back, at, back at Daddy's mansion. Yeah, back at the house that your parents bought you. Seem to be doing fine to me. <laughs> Well, I think that will be very interesting listening to that answer for, to our audience who uh, who love comedy, and uh, it, it's it's going to be an interesting. One. We'll be interested to hear from people about when they think they'd be willing to go back and sit in a, a room full of other people who could be infected with a deadly virus or not. Mate, like honestly, I think you miss. Uh, I think you underestimate Northerners. Like honestly, like comedy <laughs> clubs in like uh, across like Leeds and Manchester and like Wigan and Barnsley would be full right now right. if you oh, opened them. Yeah, of they would. Mate, all you need is listen. Don't worry about the fucking the microphone and shit. Just have a place that sells drinks, and it will be full again. People are keep, people are like over it, man. People are over it, and like there's a lot of people who are like, well, you know, all our nanas are gonna die. Fuck it. Like a lot of people have just made that calculation. Wow. Right. Okay, That's how much people love comedy 
in the north of Howard. Yeah, yeah man, because we do it proper, proper fucking jokes. You don't get people <laughs> willing their nan dead over a fucking Perrier Award winning show about you getting molested, do you? <laughs> that old saying, that old saying. <laughs> um, so it's over to Dane for the last question of today's episode. Indeed. So, um, as I had said uh, previously, both Rob and I uh, follow a very similar uh, belief system. Um, we are currently celebrating 3.5 Gramadan. Uh, and then we'll be celebrating the Weird Al Fitra. It's also uh, the uh, also Bonkeper for those of you. Uh, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. So um, the thing is, uh, for those who aren't aware, we're obviously alluding to the myriad of uses and applications of the plant hemp, uh, about which its legalization is always causing some level of contention. Now, I think one of the problems is, Rob, that sometimes the people that say weed is good uh, probably only using it for one thing. And uh, probably not the best poster child's children, I should say, for that campaign. Yeah. So I wanted you to tell me what you think. What do you think uh, is the best application or how would you use hemp outside of smoking or in or any kind of, I guess, intake of it? Sure. In your body. What is, would you say would be one of the better applications of hemp, or how would you use hemp or CBD or THC or any of the components of our sacred plants for uh, the betterment of humankind? Well, yeah, like it's it's obviously you know obviously the the number one is intake because obviously like I think it has a lot of benefits in a lot of ways. I use CBD and THC in different ways for different things, and I would argue all marijuana use is medicinal. You just don't really realise what you're using it for. Yeah. Um, but like you know, it is a, an incredibly useful plant. It grows really I easily. Should, I should uh, I should actually clarify as well. There's other than smoking, but yeah, all the other medical applications that is also valid in this question. So. Hmm. Yeah, all right, all right. So just yeah. apart from smoking for fun. Apart from smoking it, yeah. All right, yeah. cool. Well, like, the number one thing, the number one argument, I think, that is the number one most convincing and no one really disputes is if you show video footage of someone who has, like, uh, severe Parkinson's or another condition that causes, like, tremors and seizures, and then you see that person be medicated with cannabis and, and see the immediate effect that has on them, if you can watch that and then claim that you think that that person should be a criminal for doing that to themselves, like, honestly, I think you can get in the fucking see like mm. i just i think that's absolutely mental you don't even deserve to see get in the acid there's yeah, good yeah, yeah, there's totally. nice fish in that sea get in the acid it's ridiculous it's just like because <laughs> right, i'm pulling at the point where i i i think all, personally i think all drugs should be totally legalized but i think we really? go in steps we start off with medical weed that needs to be number one because like we're denying people a medicine that can genuinely help and we have medicinal heroin you can you can get heroin in a hospital before you can get weed, and that I is mean, fucked up. Oh, it's not oh, the way you go in drugs. Opioids, for those who don't know, is probably basically medical heroin. Yeah, so. hmm. it, it has the same effects. Oh yeah, oxycodone, oxycontin, mm-hmm. all the same effects. Yeah. And like weed is such a harmless and useful drug that I find it baffling that it's illegal. It's the reason I don't drink anymore is because I'm able to like you know because I smoke weed and it chills that sort of like bit of my brain down. Exactly. Like it, it's unlike um, cigarettes, which are normally a trigger for more drinking. Exactly, and like um, it just helps with all those sort of like cravings with all sort of different like addict shit. Um, it helps me massively with my ADHD. Basically, like smoking weed means that I can pick one thought out rather than having twenty thoughts at once that I can't understand because they're all happening at the same time. Like mm. I have twenty internal monologues going at once. I smoke a bit of weed, and I don't think massively differently or anything. I just can pick one thought out and go with that, and it just calms yeah. me a bit. Yeah. And like I think, like I, I just I don't. It really annoys me that someone else can tell me what I should be able to put in my body. Like, I just mm. don't see why anyone could have that while, authority. While at the same time telling you what you should put in your body. Yeah, completely. Your personal vaccinations. Me, I mean, myself personally, and I, I completely agree with your sentiment, and I am always massively cynical about anti-legislation uh, rhetoric because weed was encouraged to be grown by American immigrants when they arrived on the Mayflower and otherwise. Um, and it was referred to as weed because it originally called hemp, but it's called weed because of the speed at which it grew. And I think some say that the uh, first American flag was sewn from hemp because hemp can be used for making fabrics, can be used for fuel. However, because uh, America's industrious families are still trying to prosper with the cotton gin, Weed grew quicker than cotton and was equally efficient, so they created a whole campaign by buying press. And their campaign was, if children smoke marijuana reefer, 
they will have sex with black jazz musicians. Is that what you want your white daughters doing? Having sex with See, black jazz musicians? black guys musicians? just ruin everything for everyone, man. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> we it's not... We just to have some nice reefers and enjoy some jazz music and you came along and shagged I our daughters, the, man. I think it's the opposite. I think because everyone knows we're such good at partying, that's what everyone's worried about. <laughs> the party gets started and everyone's like, uh, they're having too much fun over there. They're not going to come back home and enjoy a roast dinner or whatever thing was being at the time yeah i mean that definitely was a danger if you're like in like white culture in like you know 90 years ago and you see some black culture you're gonna be like that's more fun yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and that was and that was their problem you know yeah, that's yeah. kind of what that they refer to it as reefer cigarettes and marijuana and all this and then the, it's the, just a way to criminalize black people as well you change that law yeah. black people have weed on them at that point it's a way to get them in jail and like yeah, solve exactly. that problem to them because, you know because weirdly weed is very good at providing uh medication for people that are trying to mitigate their pain and tragedy you know because, like, being under an oppressive regime where you can be murdered for existing would tend to make people quite angry and frustrated, isn't it? And have a lot of thoughts in their head. Yeah. So them having the access to medication when, you know, I mean, they could come to a hospital and get medication, but you tell them to fuck off and go to the black hospital. So that's probably why they would maybe look for more uh, natural uh, remedies. Mm. I also find it quite ironic that people continue to, like, profile black men for weed and then associate it with criminality. But the biggest weed dealer in the entire country was a guy called Howard Marks, and his book was called Mr. Nice. Exactly, yeah, 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 totally. And like, this is like my my, my experience of black weed dealers is uh, to a T, absolutely lovely. <laughs> it's, not, it's not always punctual. No, 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 yeah. no. But that that's not that's not there's not a racial element to that. That's just weed no, dealers. No, no, no. That's just weed dealers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. You know, but, but polite and uh, you know, they're, they're businessmen. They're doing you know they're doing a, a nice thing. Like, yeah. but there there is definitely that thing. Um, and like you know, I, I saw a stat that like um, you know, obviously like. It's like literally anything else. It's worse for black people. Like black people are far more likely to be arrested for drugs and like far more likely to be prosecuted for drugs. But white people, um, by percentage, take more drugs and use it. Yeah, especially in this country. And I, uh, I can I can certainly tell you, I fucking do. And I, <laughs> I've never been arrested for anything. I used to walk I, down the street smoking joints, like in in Rich, central London, and have you ever these people of, would walk past me. Have you ever heard of Keith Richard getting arrested? Well, I think he did a couple of times. <laughs> Maybe once but or twice. not enough times. Yeah. Maybe once or twice. Keep it in mind, we're talking about a career that spanned over, like, what, 40 years? So. Yeah, but, like, if he was black, he'd have, like, an arrest record like fucking ODB. I've been arrested a few times, and I have not really used it, and, and it wasn't even for drugs, although the car was searched for them. So, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I, I think it's a, such a strange thing. Uh, the people still opposed to the weed and it, what it took in this country for that conversation to be open again was that there was a young white kid that had epilepsy mm, that was exactly, yeah. and he found out that uh, medically that it was improving his uh, state and this is when the conversation came up and the problem again and my problem always is is that yeah there's always a capitalist interest behind legislation because in the same way that like you know people would same way that now capitalists realise that veganism is now a movement, so people are making plant-based food. And I'm very concerned about what plant-based means. But in the same way now with weed, because people see the medical application, but really the, the, the financial potential, now big farmers get involved with weed and they're taking it and just maybe trying to patent it. The money's in the patents. So they're taking something mm. that grows naturally and attaching their own poly carbon polymers and all this other shit to it. They make it worse. They ruin it. Like, you know, so they sell Sativex rather than weed, but it's not as effective because it's not weed. Weed is just really good at what it is. That's why up until big farmers started producing stuff like Sativex, no recorded fatalities in the entire history of the world from someone using weed. As soon as big pharma got involved, hmm. first fatality. Mm. And I, and I think that's the issue is that like because weed is very similar to like you know paracetamol or penicillin where these things occur naturally in nature and so they can't be patented so what big pharma will do is they'll create this weird carbon chain at the end of something then they'll put a weird sugar coating on it and that's why nurofen which will cost like five pounds is no more powerful than tesco ibuprofen which is about 99 pence yeah. Oh, less. mate, 99p? What fucking ibuprofen are you treating yourself to, man? That's 29p <laughs> a packet in boots. <laughs> yes, so there you go. There you go. It's just a milligram dosage. And it's like, yeah. people talk so much about drugs and legislation. It's like, from a perspective of zero awareness. Yeah. Because like you said, we know that boots boots sell 29 pence ibuprofen, which is equally effective as as, as nurofen. But nurofen will have like a 7,000 percent marker. And it's yeah. literally because you used to check the milligrams in the same way that maybe if there was some research done into weed, then 
we'd know what works for people, what applications it has. And, you know, especially with so many people dealing with autoimmune diseases, it would actually be more cost effective and probably less of a drain on the NHS if we actually put time towards these resources. Massively. But, uh, yeah, it actually, it actually. Not be, to mention all the tax income, the massive amount of tax. Not income only that, legal weed. if we're growing a shitload of plants as well as getting income financially, if we're growing a shitload of plants, then that means there's a lot more organisms that are photosynthesizing on behalf of our planet, yeah. and reducing our carbon as well. So, and like people are exploited by the drug supply chain, you know, it's it's unregulated and illegal, so it's and dodgy. very violent ruins people's lives and like the only reason that exists is because of illegality like you cannot yeah. stop people smoking weed you can't right it, um, every single corner shop every single supermarket sells king skins no one's having big cigarettes right it, it's, walkers it's, make a walkers make a grab bag rob it's yeah, too yeah, big for a normal person but not too big for a normal high person rob 100 100 percent. that we have we have institutions set up to foot like feeding stoners. we sell cinema size malteser packets outside the cinema society <laughs> do you Roll know up. the reason do you know the reason they claim uh the the, the big rizzlers are sold no what is that they say it's because uh, lorry drivers can't roll cigarettes up too often, so they give them a big one so they can smoke as they're driving. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I have smoked a few of them whilst I was driving. But <laughs> I know, exactly. You know what else? But you know what lorry drivers can also do? Buy a fucking cigarette. So shut up! <laughs> <laughs> and stop lying! The thing about weed in the current era, going back to where we begun today's episode with uh, veganism, uh, vegetarianism and veganism, is there there is too much good use for hemp in every way for a natural thing that grows in our ground for it not to be utilized and if you know you just look at the purely applications in you know fibers in uh you know what it can do for soil uh, there's a fuel that is being developed for it there's all of, all, all of these different options basically there's there's so many different things and all the medical applications and then and then if you talk about the recreational one listen i've said this before i'll say it again if you think that the way that you act when you drink is acceptable then the way that people act when they smoke weed is acceptable so if you're not gonna let us do it then fuck you basically because there's yeah, no man. there's no argument for the behaviorisms of stoners like it's exactly. just not they're just not no problems. husband has ever been left out of led out of his house in cuffs and been like i came home she pushed me too far i smoked to spliff then i went for a yeah that don't happen man yeah. like there are triage centers mobile triage centers in every town center in the country on a friday saturday night because british people cannot drink without throwing up passing out getting alcohol poisoning and fighting like how the fuck can you possibly justify like uh, that being legal but me sitting at home and playing fucking tony hawks pro skater 2 is illegal hmm. yeah also <laughs> It's the is the added dubious thing when they go, oh, but drink responsibly. That's called having a soft drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I drink responsibly because I drink some fucking water. Exactly, or they go gamble responsibly. That's called investing. Yeah. Mm. So please spare us this fake corporate responsibility. It's embarrassing for everyone. It Mm -hmm. demeans us all. I'm not going to McDonald's to eat responsibly. That's not why I'm fucking here. Yeah. I didn't come to this casino to gamble responsibly. Yeah, I'm not in a bookies on a Wednesday because I make good choices. Right? I'm not here this casino. I'm not here on on bet on Betfair because I want to be responsible. I want fast money for football. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, it's been a, it's been a brilliant episode with three very, very different questions that that I'm sure our audience have enjoyed listening to. Like good comedians, we've had a mixed bill to come and dovetail perfectly. And uh, one day me and Rob are going to create our own CBD based frozen treats. And we're going to be the Ben and Jerry's of the CBD infused frozen treat game. It's fucking happening. Yeah. It's happening. I'm lactose intolerant. Would you think I wouldn't eat a CBD sorbet? Oof. Come on. We'll, we'll make a vegan ice cream, man. We'll, we'll sort you out. Vegan ice cream with a little bit of hemp, with a little bit of hemp oil. Can I just suggest one thing to you guys? It's just a bit of a business advice. I think you need to get really good uh, weed-based pun names in your ice creams. So, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Ben and Jerry's have some good pun names for their Well, like Gold is Green. Gold is green is great. Yeah, really into that. I think you need to allude to the flavours of the ice cream. You know, definitely. You, we, we will 100% get working on that. Yeah. But like the, the, the thing is, like, weed names often have like uh, foodstuffs in cool it. Already. Exactly. Strawberry haze. Chocolate, strawberry haze, lemon haze, Chocolo- wedding loop. cake. Yeah, mm. chocolate. Um, I had wedding cake the other day, mm. citrus haze the other day, Skywalker OG. 
I had, I, had, I had some weed when we were in Amsterdam called Killing Fields that I think is a bit <laughs> too far. People need to remember. People need to remember. Was it was it, was it red? <laughs> yeah, it's like a little red. puppy. Gotta have, have a little red tint to it if it's gonna be either the killing field or listen, man. It can sell. At the end of the day, if you can have a can of drink called pussy, we can sell killing field ice cream. Yeah. Exactly, man. Fair point. Exactly. Fair point. We believe in that future. Um gonna happen, Rob. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show, me and Dane. Oh, thanks for having me, man. appreciate it. Um Dane, we want to hear all about tell people where you can they can find you, Rob, basically, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Let people know. And, uh, uh, I'm, ve- I'm very fucking easy to find like Google Rob Mulholland some shit will show up like um, basically like the big thing I'm doing at the moment is like my YouTube's like my main focus like my stand-up special Too Big to Fails on YouTube for free um, so check that out like I put out loads of shit on my YouTube channel I've got like various podcasts I do so go check them out on there um, also like I do a roast show with Freddie Quinn and uh, Brennan Reese on Hot Water Comedy that's starting next weekend on a Friday night so you can like text in photos and we'll be cunts about them it's dead fun <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, main, th- main thing though, check out my comedy special. Like, if you find that on YouTube, Rob Mulholland, Too Big to Fail, uh, or my website, robcomedy.co.uk. All the information about everything I do is on there. But I've got a fucking endless videos and podcasts and Great. stand up. And, you know, if you're bored at the moment and you've enjoyed this, then fucking get involved. Perfect. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, though, guys. It's been, this has been a pleasure. No, my pleasure, man. Great to see you, man. And uh, also, Rob is a very cool hat. So if you want to send Rob a cool hat, then get in touch as well. Absolutely. Even if I don't wear it, I'll stick it on You'll the fucking right. rack behind. Nice. And look out for, and look out for our company. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Look out for it. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm excited. It's going to happen, man. It's coming soon. We're going to be the Ben and Jerry's of the weed business. That's We're doing it, man. We're doing it. I'm telling you. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him at DaneBapTweets. Our guest was Rob Mulholland. You can follow Rob on Twitter and Instagram at Rob Mulholland. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at the Howard Cohen. Thanks to Polly and Gelly. Hey, if you like what you've been listening to, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thanks for listening. And remember, question everything. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>